And as we jump in this morning to Philippians chapter 3, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to that particular text. And as we dive in this morning, let's pray for God's blessing and presence on our time here. Father, thank you for this book of joy. We certainly know that through history, Philippians has been thought and taught that way, that it is a book of joy. And Lord, this morning, may we understand that our joy is not something that we can achieve through our own action and our own lives, the work that we do, but instead, Lord, it is a joy that you have imparted to us through the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we hear that in our hearts this morning, and there are those who are here this morning longing for that joy who desperately want more of it in their lives. And I pray, Lord, your presence on this this time, Lord, that you appear and I disappear through the words spoken and that, Lord, your joy will touch our hearts. Give us what we stand in need. Perhaps there's people here who need to be challenged and poked and prodded to a deeper level of understanding of your grace. Lord, you do that work too. Perhaps, Lord, you're just simply meeting us to more fully experience your love and grace in all of our lives. Lord, equip us in all these things to experience your presence through the power of your word because of the work of Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit. You're the only one who can do this. We pray you do it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you have seen this bumper sticker? Anyone seen that bumper sticker around town? I remember several years ago, actually, when this bumper sticker came out. Um, I saw it around town a couple times, and then um, I actually saw it on Marjorie Day. Marjorie, is you, are you here this morning? Is she here somewhere? I saw her son. There she is. Hi, Marjorie. Um, Marjorie had it on her car at the time. And I remember seeing it on her car and thinking, what is it exactly that Marjorie is advertising? Because I didn't get what this was. I thought that Hecky was a surf brand. Or Hecky was, I don't know, an off-road vehicle mate or something crazy like that. I thought, like many people do who advertise on the back of their cars or their trucks or whatever, that, that Marjorie was advertising something that um, she and, and Garrison or, or uh, Colton or Emmy or whatever bought and liked and someone wanted to slap a bumper sticker on. And finally, I asked her, I said, what's Hecky? And she said to me, Scott, it's not hacky. It's he is greater than I. And then all of a sudden I thought about how much more holy Marjorie is than me. (laughs) Because not only did she have this bumper sticker on her car, but she got it. And of course, as soon as you see it, you see it is the math symbol, he greater than I. And it is something that speaks to a truth of Scripture that all of us need to hear in our lives. Um, And yet, you know, I, I, I so appreciate this image because if nothing else, to me, it posed a question, what in the world is that? And perhaps people who have, he is greater than I, bumper stickers on their car, have people who say, what is that? Well, that actually is a pretty good door to sharing the gospel, isn't it? Maybe that's a way to do it. There's lots of different ways that we can share the gospel, but perhaps those bumper stickers is a way that we need to do more of. In our text this morning from Philippians chapter 3, we hear what this truth really means, he is greater than I. And we hear this through the lens of who Paul is, because Paul himself is showing us that if anyone had 
a standing in the church to say that they themselves were great, it's Paul. And yet he tells us what he does with all that greatness and how he considers it and how Christ considers it. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 4a of chapter 3. It says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, as we look at that, that beginning of this, this pericope, or what we call the, the, the section of the text, we, we hear Paul begin by saying, hey, rejoice, folks. You need to live into joy. And, and we hear that calling certainly in Philippians over and over again. That's why it's called the, the book of the Bible that most uh, spends time with joy. We hear it elsewhere in the text. But it's interesting that he sort of juxtaposes or contrasts this joy stuff with something else. He gives them a caution. And the caution that he gives them is that they need to be cautious around mutilators of the flesh. Now, if you don't know your New Testament history, if you don't know well the book of Acts, or maybe you've heard it before, you're not making the connection... What you're hearing here is a discussion or Paul is admonishing them to be careful about one thing in particular and that is circumcision. Again, for those of you who may not know the story, in the Old Testament, the Jews, which Paul is and he's writing to many Jews as well as Gentiles, but he's writing to Jews. In the Old Testament, God's people were marked by this sign, the sign of circumcision. The command was first given to Abraham. And all the boys needed to be, after a certain period of time, circumcised in order to be shown as part of the covenant of God. And when the New Testament comes and when Jesus comes, Jews are into their habits and they're not giving up their habits easily. So there's a big discussion at various times. And in fact, if you look at Uh, the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 17, you're going to see there's this big discussion in this new thing called the church, whether or not circumcision still holds. Should a person who follows Jesus or a Christian then be baptized or be circumcised, I'm sorry. And ultimately the church says, no, No, that's not the case. In order for you to become part of the family of God, circumcision is no longer part of that mark. The new mark is baptism. That's how you are welcomed into the covenant of God, the people of God, the family of God. But old habits die hard. And there were people going around, including people to the Philippian church, who were saying, folks, in order for you to be a follower of Jesus, you need to get circumcised. And if you're not circumcised, then you're not included. And I find it interesting that Paul puts these two things together, this encouragement or commandment even to joy, and then he puts this caution. But if you think about it, it makes sense. Because if you want to take the joy out of something... All you have to do is insert some level of obligation and joy can be gone. Let me give you an example. 
Christmas. All right? We're coming up to Christmas. How many of you feel pressure? Because you got stuff to do, don't you? You got gifts to wrap and buy and wrap. You got, you got a house to decorate. You got parties to go to. You got programs to be a part of. You got things to rehearse for. You've got, got people that you make. Oh, Christmas cards. Christmas cards. Right now in our house, that's, that's one of the pressures. Christmas cards. Make sure we got all our Christmas cards out. There's all these lists of things about Christmas. And if you ask people at the end of the day, is Christmas a time of joy? They're going to say, yeah, maybe. Why? Because all of this pressure, all this obligation. This is how you do Christmas. And if you don't do this, you ain't done Christmas right. And that feeling of obligation is actually, it's, it's, do you know that actually there are more suicides? There is more mental health issues. There is more depression during Christmas than any time of the year. Many of you probably already knew that. Why? Because the pressure, the stress of Christmas comes. And if that happens, the stress and the pressure and the obligation are there, what goes away? Joy. All of a sudden, the most wonderful time of the year becomes something remarkably different. And Paul is saying to these Philippian Christians and to us, folks, if you as followers of Jesus are living into obligation, an obligation to circumcision or an obligation to anything else, except the things that God calls us to be um, obligated towards, things like love and grace, then if you're living into that obligation, your joy is gone. You lost it. And he's also saying something about those who push it, who push the obligation on others. And what does he call them? You'll notice what he says here. He uses these words. Watch out for those, what? Dogs. Now, I don't know about you. This is not like, hey, dog, what's up? It's not that sort of dog. This is like, no, really, you are a dog. You're a low-down, dirty dog. And those who then push obligation are in that category that Paul sometimes talks about when he's talking about people who are antithetical to the kingdom of God. And so for us to hear that this morning, are we people who who live into joy and invite others into joy? Are we people who live into obligation and invite others into obligation? It's challenging to think about because we can do this sort of stuff a lot. Paul knows that, so that's why he writes these words beginning in 4b. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. What we would call Paul is simply this. Paul is a gold star Christian. He is the sort of person that... Um, that if he were doing a checklist of what a church person should look like, he would have every box checked. 
And we look at that and we understand, you know, Paul is teaching us about, about grace and that um, works righteousness and this idea of having, th- having everything right certainly isn't, um, you know, that's, that's, that's old stuff. We don't live in that more anymore. We live into a world of grace. But you know what? I don't think we always do that. Let me, let me put it this way. I think we still have the standards. I think we still have the standards of what people are like if they're going to be in the kingdom of God. I think we have, in our, in our own minds, we have what a good Christian looks like. And certainly the opposite being what a not so good Christian or maybe a non-Christian looks like. A good Christian has a certain idea of um, what Sundays look like. Used to be you had to go to church. How many times on Sunday? Twice. And if you didn't go twice on Sunday, boy, whoo boy. You know, in fact, I can remember when my dad was a council member years and years ago that there was somebody in the church who had to get a visit from the elder because they didn't ascend, attend church twice on Sunday. I remember that. Uh, And there are also things that, the other standards that we have, certain beliefs that we have to have, certain ideas that we have to have. In some contexts, it's a certain set of political beliefs. In another context, it's a different set of political beliefs. In some contexts, it's one set of cultural beliefs. In another context, it's a different set of cultural beliefs. In this community, friends, we still have our ideas of what a good family looks. I, I will even say this. I have had people come to me at different times over the course of eight years of ministry here say, we need to do this thing in order to attract people to the river. And I said, well, that's great, but that only attracts this group of people. And they said, well, that's the kind of people that we want. Pardon me? Are you kidding me? Isn't the gospel of God for everybody? Aren't all welcome, regardless of ideas, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of socioeconomic situation, regardless of last name or culture or whatever? Isn't the gospel open to everyone? When Paul is saying these things to us, he's challenging us to go deeper to what is the real thing. What is real inwardly, not outwardly. I'm going to show you a video to give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Please, sir, we've done what you told us. We brought you the broomstick of the Wicked Witch of the West. We melted her. Oh, you liquidated her, eh? Very resourceful. Yes, sir. So we'd like you to keep your promise to us, if you please, sir. Not so fast! Not so fast! I'll have to give the matter a little thought. Go away and come back tomorrow. Tomorrow? Oh, but I want to go home now. You've had plenty of time already. Yeah. Do not arouse the wrath of the great and powerful Oz. I said come back tomorrow. If you are really great and powerful, you keep your promises. Do you presume to criticize the great Oz? You ungrateful creatures think yourselves lucky that I'm giving you audience tomorrow instead of 20 years from now. Oh, the great Oz has spoken. 
It's true, there's no other wizard except me. You humbug! Yeah. Yes, it's exactly so. I'm a humbug. Oh, you're a very bad man. Oh, no, my dear. I, I'm a very good man. I'm just a very bad wizard. Classic film, Wizard of Oz. And here, all of a sudden, the outward stuff of the wizard is taken away. And what is left, he makes this statement, I'm a really good man, I'm just a really bad wizard. When we begin to look behind the curtain of ourselves and of others, we understand then that it is about what is inward. And the wizard didn't have the power that he was claiming even though on the outside it looked like he did. For us to understand that for us to look at the inward power that the gospel of Jesus Christ has given to us and move beyond the exterior. Not just of, of ourselves, but then also of others. It means that we're willing to look beyond what the world sees to what God sees. And what God sees in each image bearer, because all of humanity is called to as an image bearer of God, we can see in that image bearer of God something beautiful, something worthy of God's grace and God's love. That's the standard by which we, we operate in when we're operating with humanity. We're not going by gold stars. Because in the big scheme of things, gold stars mean little. In fact, Paul's going to use an interesting word. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Listen to this word. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from the law, but that the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of truth. I want to know Christ. Yes, I to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, from the dead. Paul uses this word garbage. And that's a, a powerful word. And especially because that means that Paul is looking back on all the things in many ways that have equipped him to do what it is that he can do. Now, he can, he can talk a lot and very well about the Old Testament. Why? Because he was a Pharisee and he was taught about the Old Testament. And he learned it and so now he can talk about that. But he's saying even that was garbage. 
that he was equipped with contacts and different people because he was a Pharisee of Pharisee, that he could now walk into certain circles and have a voice that he couldn't have otherwise. And he says, wait, that even is garbage. What I need to now live into is what God is doing in me. Now, I can confess to you that, you know, this resonates with me like so much. I, I've lived into this in my own way in my life. I'm a Christian Reformed pastor. Now, for some of you, that doesn't mean a lot. But for others, you understand what I say. I did this. I went to catechism when I was in grade school. I had profession of faith of eight, like when I was 18 because that's the holy time to do it. When I was, went to college, I had no other choice. I went to where? Calvin College. And then I went into ministry. God did some stuff to do that, but I went into ministry. But then it was time to go to seminary. Well, where would you go to seminary if you're from the Christian Reformed Church? Calvin Seminary. And I've been a part of committees, and, and now I'm the board of Calvin Seminary. And friends, i got to be honest, there are times when that shows my level of arrogance and my pride. Because to me, those are all things that allow me influence and authority and a place in a conversation that I wouldn't have anymore. And I can tell you this without question. In my best moments, I put all that stuff behind me. Because I have people who are my neighbors across the street who don't know Jesus. Because I walk into Stater Brothers and there are people there who are, who are longing for something more in life and they couldn't care less about anything that I have. What they want to know is this, do you love me? Do you have the ability to look beyond what is outside, the stuff that I might put out as a charade or the stuff that the world has done to me? Can you look beyond that and look into who I really am and love me? And the hard part is, friends, oftentimes we can't. Things are too dirty or too messy. Maybe if they clean themselves up a little bit. Maybe if I clean myself up a little bit, then, then God will love me more. Or if another person cleans themselves up a little bit, then I can love them and I can care for them and they can be welcome in my faith community. But what we're hearing here is that the outward has so little to do with it. It has everything to do with the inward. What does it say here? It says, it, it's... Uh, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see what, what, what Paul is putting before us as the stuff that we should most covet about who Jesus is. He doesn't say covet Jesus' power. He doesn't say covet the influence or the, the, the things that Jesus could do through his miracles. Instead, he says, participate in his sufferings and his resurrection. That's not a good advertisement for Christianity. Hey, friends, come on into the faith. Come and get beat up. 
come and welcome into the pain of being rejected by the world. Come and because you are willing to consider all things of this world as things that moth and rust destroy and you're going to build up your treasures in heaven which are built up with love and grace and, and, and respect and encouragement and, and love for each other. That sometimes you're not going to have enough. Your bills may not get paid all the time. And if you do have enough money, that money is, is called to you by God to give away with great generosity and joyful hearts. It's a completely different image than what the world has. And so it's, it's hard to invite sometimes people into that because what Paul is calling us to participate in here in the life of Jesus is the hard stuff. But here's the thing, that hard stuff has power. And when, when we hear the gospel message, one of the great comforts is that Jesus was willing to live into our own pain and our own suffering and even die for it. That's the hope of the gospel. And when we are then willing to do that in the lives of others, when we are willing then to make that the primary focus of our own lives, not worry about the exterior or the outward stuff, but the interior presence of Jesus Christ in us stuff, that's power. Because it means that this world doesn't have that influence on you. It means that when you watch, oh, I don't know, every single commercial right now about how much you need to go out and buy and get, that you say something like, I don't need that. Because if I am if I need that, what is need? What is need? What is that? What kind of word is that? Need is a word of obligation. Did we hear obligation earlier on in service? What does obligation steal? What does it steal? Obligation steals joy. And so much of what the world says to us, especially during this time of year, is simply this. Here's what you need to be happy. That's the reason why Philippians is the book of joy because Paul is encouraging us to step beyond the things that steal it and move into the things that bring life. Come in, Jesus. Come and make me new. Let me see the world with the eyes that you see the world. Let me look beyond. When I drive down Rendon's Boulevard and see anyone on the street, that I can look beyond what is outward to what is inward where your image dwells and see them with your eyes of love. Actually, that's not as hard for me. Highway 91 is a much harder for me to see the image of God in other people. That is a place where me and God have lots of conversation. Let's close the passage in verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now there is this wonderful little phrase there that I want you to grab onto. It says there that Christ takes hold. And I was thinking this week, how do I transmit that image to you? 
And it's the wrong time of year for this image because it's a summertime image. Unless you're crazy or Canadian visiting Southern California. If you're crazy and Canadian visiting Southern California during this time of year, you go to the beach and you swim. Because that's what Canadians do when it's cold weather. They don't care about that stuff. They just want to swim in the ocean. If you go into the ocean, and let's say there's a riptide. And you're swimming and you get caught up in the riptide. What do you hope happens? What do you hope? Lifeguard, right? And when a lifeguard comes, if you've ever seen this, Kristen and I have spent enough time at the beach, we've seen this a couple times, here's what happens when a lifeguard comes out to you. In an ideal world, they come out in the jet ski with another guy behind them, and then they rip out on the jet ski, and that swimmer, the rescue swimmer, drops in beside you, and if they're going to really rescue you, Maybe they're going to, maybe you're, let's say you're 10 yards away from where the jet ski is because the, the breakers and stuff like that. If they're really going to rescue you and you're really tired, what are they going to do? What's the pose? Does anybody know what the pose is? They give you a little bit of a headlock from the back. Anyone ever seen this? You get a headlock from the back. So imagine I'm laying like this because I'm drowning and I'm going to die. And a lifeguard comes behind me over here, gets me in a headlock and begins to swim the other direction. What is he doing? He is taking hold of me. Because I am powerless. I have been tired out by the rip. I have no ability to, to save myself. I have to take hold of me and bring me to safety. That's the image that we have here in this text. Of Christ coming and taking hold of those of us who have no ability to do it. It's one of the reasons why Paul says, I put all those other things behind me. I forget what was before and I strain towards what is ahead. No matter how good it was, no matter how bad it was, I put it behind me because I need Christ to do his work to take me in whatever direction he's going to go. It means that we don't rest on our laurels and we're not consumed by our failures. That's why he says, forget. Forget all this stuff and allow God's spirit and his presence in you to make you new. Every day, new every morning, oh God. Give me new eyes every day. Give me a new heart every day. Help me to forget the great things that I have seen in this world and help me forget the horrible failures that I've had because I know with you there are so many more beautiful things to come. And if I rest on laurels, I'm going to miss it. I'm not going to have that level of, of anticipation. I'm not going to have that excitement because I'm going to look back and say, oh, but that was great. I don't think I'll ever see anything like that again. Guess what? You know what's ahead? The new heavens and the new earth. You ever seen anything like that? You know what's ahead? Ahead is people who for the first time commit their lives to Christ. You know what's ahead? Ahead, we will be standing here in this church and watching children be baptized into the covenant of God. You know what's ahead? 
Ahead is kids or, and adults and different people lining up here at different times and saying, yes, for the first time, I want to follow Jesus and be a part of the community of faith. There's going to be people who come up here and say, God has given me a call and a mission, and I want to go be about it. Maybe it's to Ireland. Maybe it's to some place in Redlands. Maybe it's to a new community. Who knows? God has those sorts of things ahead. God has messages that are going to come from this stage by Pastor Mario or myself or John or Bill or whoever. And you're going to hear the gospel presented in powerful and beautiful ways. Maybe even other people are going to come up here. You're going to hear in, in weeks ahead and in months ahead and years ahead, deacons come up here and say, here's what's going on in the kingdom of God. You're going to hear ahead all the new things that God continues to do in his kingdom because our world needs redemption. And God's never going to stop working. And he wants you and I to be a part of the work. Let's look ahead. Look ahead. Maybe it's almost like looking ahead this way. I want to look ahead being taken hold of by Christ Jesus. What's going on? What's there? Let me find it. Hold me. Get me in that holy headlock. Not a chokehold. Not quite, Lord. Not ready yet. Get me in a holy headlock and take me where you want me to go. Forget your stuff and remember Christ. And friends, final thing. This also means that you forget your failure. Hear me. Forget your failure. During the offertory, you saw a video. And for some people in that room, this room, that's a hard video to watch. Because you know what that video was about. It was about unborn children. And you know stories, maybe it's your story, where there's an unborn child that was terminated. Forget your failure. Look towards what is ahead. Some of you, if I say the word abuse, it hurts because you were abused. Or maybe you were an abuser. And hearing those words is something where you think God can't love me out of that. Forget what is behind and look towards what is ahead. Because God is the God of redemption. Your addiction, your record, your foolishness, your harsh words, the things that you and I have done for us to hear in Christ who is at work in our hearts, in the inward stuff, not the outward, inward stuff. He is making us new so that someday, as he wills it, we will attain the resurrection. Let's look ahead towards that, friends. Forget what is behind. Look ahead towards what is ahead. And see it with the eyes that Christ has given us to see all the world as full of people who bear the image of God. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to see in our own lives and in our own hearts what is the garbage that Paul described. The things that we rest ourselves on, 
that are of this world or exterior. They're not things of the heart, Lord, that we consider as valuable, that, Lord, in your kingdom aren't. Lord, may we leave those things behind and move towards what is ahead. Lord, may we, certainly we can, we can give you thanks for how you have shown up in our lives in the past, but Lord, may we leave those things behind too to anticipate even more beautiful things to come. Lord, may we be willing, like Paul, to look beyond the exterior towards the interior of others and of ourselves and see with eyes to see how you see us and others. That we can see that there are image bearers of Christ in the next cubicle or in the next office. That there are image bearers of God who are in our neighborhood and in our families. That there are image bearers, Lord, in, that we walk with in the morning. And maybe that we live with every day. Who need to hear the hopefulness of the gospel. And Lord, if we can move beyond the exterior, move beyond what we think is going to happen and how we think this is going to go, and be willing instead to say, as we'll talk about in the weeks ahead, that all are invited into the kingdom of God through the message. The message is to be heard by all. The hope and the love is to be heard by all. The Lord, as we live into that, that Lord, if it be your will, others may come to know you be transformed by you. Lord, may we have that courage because it's courage that we can't do. We need you to take hold of us. Wrap us around the neck and take us where you want us to go. And Lord, may we be willing to kick along with you and not against you. May we be willing to have eyes to see and ears to hear the new things that you will do in the days ahead. And when they come, that we can give you thanks for them. In Christ we pray, amen.